welcome to Brito's Peace in a Pod. My name is Indigo Trickhauger, and I'm a communicator at the Peace Research Institute, Oslo. My job here is to help researchers convey their work. Usually that means talking to the media, politicians, other stakeholders, and colleagues. With this podcast, that means talking to you. Scrambles for natural resources and struggles for power when such resources come to light are a frequent cause of international conflict and tension around the world. In the Eastern Mediterranean, recent discovery of hydrocarbons has only exacerbated existing tensions. This is a region that includes Cyprus, Turkey, Greece, Syria, Egypt, Lebanon, Palestine, and Israel. Today, we're going to hear from Prio Cyprus Center researcher Zinonas Jaros. His research on the Eastern Mediterranean includes foreign policy in the region, power struggles, prospects for peace, cooperation, and competition. He's going to give a rundown on the relationships between countries that define this area, why hydrocarbons are so consequential for the region, and how countries' sovereignty and governance have been developed and challenged there over the last decade. Zinonas holds a PhD in politics and international studies from the University of Warwick, UK, where he taught world politics and specialized in Turkish foreign policy in the Middle East. At the Prio Cyprus Center, his research focuses on the geopolitics of the Eastern Mediterranean. Welcome to the podcast, Zinonas. It's great to have you here because you're from the Prio Cyprus Center, um, our, our sister outpost of Prio. Um, and we're going to talk today about the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, before we actually get started with that, could you just talk a little bit about being at the PCC and what your what your job is there as a researcher? Um, because it's a little bit of a different setup. You guys have a bit of a smaller staff, but you do a lot of amazing work and you're, you're very productive with your outputs. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me and for the invitation. It's very good to, to talk with you. Um, so here at the Prio Cyprus Center, we obviously focus on uh, on Cyprus's conflict, uh, what some people call the Cyprus problem or the Cyprus issue or the Cyprus question, uh, which is <laughs> a basically... lot of different <laughs> ways of saying that. Yeah, it, it's the, some of them are politically loaded, so it depends who you ask. Um, so uh, basically, it's about the ethnic conflict uh, on the island that broke out in the 1960s with with some history, of course, and then the 1974 invasion of Turkey um, that, that now occupies 37% of the island's north. So uh, we do a lot of research about the different aspects and the different levels of this conflict, um, from the international negotiations taking place from time to time to, I mean, intercommunal uh, issues um, ranging from um, topics on education and um, the management of environmental issues, um, health, the basic chapters of the negotiations, which is property, territory, security and guarantees, and so on. Um, but uh, my, my specific job is actually looking at the regional environment, namely the Eastern Mediterranean, and see how that interacts with the dynamics of the conflict. So uh, we, we saw that in the past 10 years, uh, regional developments, geopolitical developments have had a, a great impact on the peace process. So uh, Prio thought that um, it would be good to uh, look this area um, more carefully and see what are the, you know, the, the, the dynamics that it produces that uh, affect the, the negotiations, the diplomatic process, the interests of the different um, players, and so on. And obviously, how maybe the Cyprus problem or maybe the eventuality of its resolution 
could affect broader regional uh, problems or opportunities. As you said, this is such a regionally um, interesting and important area. And so today we're going to get into some of these topics, <laughs> but we're going to um, first start kind of generally uh, with a very open-ended question, which is why has the Eastern Mediterranean become so important as a geopolitical space? And this is very, very open-ended, so yeah, you can take this word. I you know. Um, I'll try to be concise. Uh, let me know if I fail. Um, so, so the Eastern Mediterranean, it's, it, in a sense, is a construct, right? Because uh, the, the place has always been here. I mean, it's, it's not like we just invented the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, <laughs> the, but, but, but now we attribute more political, social, economic importance to it for a number of reasons. You see, in, if we go back in history, not, not, too, not too far back, but maybe a century or so, we'll see that the Eastern Mediterranean was understood as an extension of the Middle East um, and sometimes an extension of Europe, depending on, on where you see it from. So during the Cold War, uh, this area has been known to, you know, to be just like other places of the world, like an arena, an arena for clashing Cold War interests between the Soviet Union and the United States, NATO, and so on. Um, but they always looked at the Eastern Mediterranean as either a bridgehead or a gateway to somewhere else. Now, in, in, in the 21st century, um, we have a, a, a broader global dynamic that affects regions more generally, not just the East map. And that, and that has to do with how power is shifting internationally. And, um, and the American hegemony is retreating to a certain extent. Now, this creates a number of power vacuums around the globe. And at the same time, you have various rising powers like uh, Russia, China, you know, Iran, Turkey, and so on. And this creates new um, dynamics at the re regional and local level, new interactions, new patterns of cooperation and conflict. So this brings the attention, it shifts the attention from the international level to the regional level. So there is a consensus that um, scholars and politicians focus more nowadays um, on the regional level and not so much on other dynamics. So in this context, the Eastern Mediterranean also became more important. But, but there are certain developments that affected our region more specifically. And this has to do with, um, I would say, three interlinked factors. One of them was that Turkey, as a major power of the area, was, was the first one to, um, to project more power once this power vacuum emerged uh, in the 21st century. Um, the second one was that at around the same time, namely the early 2010s, uh, Cyprus has discovered um, natural gas reserves. And this also happened in Israel the decade before and the, in Egypt a few years later. And this created, you know, prospects for energy cooperation in the Eastern Mediterranean. And of course, the third factor is how... These states, uh, Cyprus, Egypt, Israel, Greece specifically, and some others, have come together and created a coalition, let's say, to, 
in reaction, not only with the prospect of cooperation, but also in reaction to Turkish policies in the area that led to the breakdown of relationships like Turkey-Israel and, and Turkey-Egypt. So that's that's the dynamic in a nutshell. Mm. Okay, so there's a few things I want to touch on here, but can we just start really quickly with, yeah, like you're saying, one of the most important factors, which was the discovery of hydrocarbon, if I'm correct, yep. um, natural gas. And, and can you just quickly uh, explain why why is that significant? Sure. Well, let's say that the, the first discoveries were made early in the 2000s um, in Israel. And um, it was a time that um, the, the states of the area, uh, specifically Cyprus, Israel, Cyprus, Egypt, and Cyprus, Lebanon, uh, decided to um, delimitate their uh, econ- exclusive economic zones, their maritime economic space, let's say, uh, where companies can um, uh, search for gas and exploit the gas. So it was a great opportunity for Cyprus and the other states to, uh, you know, find some revenue, um, uh, be able to exploit new um, uh, natural resources and uh, strengthen their economies and um, and also through that uh, attain some uh, political geopolitical leverage as well. For Cyprus, this became extremely important after 2013 uh, when we had the bailing and the economic crisis. Um, and we, at the time, many politicians were, you know, projecting this prospect of exploiting the natural gas um, almost as a save as a as a you know as a factor that would save. The, the, the Cypriot economy. And we invested so much, uh, at least on, a, on the discursive level, um, on, on that prospect. Um, but at the same time, the fact that, we, that, that all, all three countries of, of this space, you know, Cyprus, Israel, and Egypt, had natural gas, or there was the prospect of finding more, uh, it, it, it meant at the time that something really significant could happen. Could happen here. Maybe you know a network of pipelines. Maybe some cooperation, you know, of import, export, transitioning gas, uh, trans sorry, transiting gas, and so on. Um, so that, that that could potentially, in, in in the eyes of some people, be a game changer for the development, both economically and politically, uh, of the Eastern Mediterranean. Of course, this did not happen in the end, but that's a different story. And I mean, this is relatively recent. Like you said, it, this isn't like other regions that we, for example, that have oil or other natural resources that it's going back decades and decades, like 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. This is only what now, 20 years or less. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure that things have, have moved really quickly. Um, how have kind of the power, I guess, positions of power shifted? And specifically, I'd love for you to focus a bit on Turkey because it seems like Turkey has been such a big player. Um, but what have the relationships kind of been like over the last few years? Yes, well, the relationships in the, in the East Med have become more tense. I mean, they, they were always problematic, well, always meaning, I mean, from the, from, from the middle of the Cold War, let's say, uh, they became particularly pro- problematic, uh, especially between um, Greece, Turkey, and, and Turkey-Cyprus. 
Um, Israel and Egypt were, you know, a different story at the time. They had their own problems. Um, uh, but uh, it, it was all... It, 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 today, it, the problem is still about the same issues that we had back then. It's always about geopolitics and, and sovereignty and not so much about, you know, the discovery of hydrocarbons. Um, the, the, the problem is that high, the discovery of hydrocarbons because it is so closely tied to issues of sovereignty, you know, whose natural gas is it? Uh, who should exploit it? Who should manage it? And so on. Um, uh, it exacerbates the already existing uh, uh, geopolitical problems and adds to the, to the tension that is in, in the area. And then uh, at the same time, you have, as I said before, the breakdown of, of the Turkish-Israeli and Turkish-Egyptian relationship which then creates a window of opportunity for Cyprus to approach these countries and, in a sense, um, use them. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but, um, I mean, look for support to these countries uh, in relation to its uh, problem with Turkey. And at the same time, these countries were also looking for a partner in the area. I mean, Turkey was no longer an option. Uh, Cyprus and Greece were EU, European Union member states, so they could also function as advocates for Israel and Egypt in the EU on, on various issues. And, um, and that's why they created this network of cooperation. And energy, it seems, that it, it, has, been, it has been playing the role of a glue, you know? Uh, all this narrative about energy cooperation and uh, the, the prospect of great profits and so on, has been what, what supported so far this network of, of cooperation. Not that there is not, not good political relations or economic relations, but all energy has always been this you know, great expectation that, that everyone had in, in the area. And, and, and even that, that's why they even created this um, organization called Eastern Mediterranean Gas Forum with the belief that they could create an organization that could actually emphasize the, the energy aspect of, of the region. Um, and, and then Turkey um, being excluded, de facto excluded from this uh, network, it tried to impose itself on, on developments, like sending its own survey uh, vessels, uh, conducting its own um, natural gas drillings uh, in, in the exclusive economic zone of the Republic of Cyprus, no less, and creating further tensions, you know, like reproducing the tension. Uh, and, and that's where, where we are today. Okay, so two follow-up questions here. Um, first of all, you mentioned the EU, and so that was going to be one of my next questions, which is, what is the EU's role here? Um, and I'm thinking not only in terms of I guess the the lobbying efforts or, or support that um, countries can get, but actually also in terms of regulation, um, has the EU I guess made any moves on that or or said anything kind of as a governing body, or if there are any other international um, bodies that have been involved? Um, yeah, I guess we can we can start with that. Yeah, are you talking specifically about the um, the the gas forum or the? Well, yeah, I guess the gas forum or or any other yeah relevant. Well, the, you know, the thing is that this whole thing started uh, with the, the natural gas, I mean. Uh, it, it, it was all about supplying Europe with gas. 
um, and um, helping Europe to um, diversify from the Russian natural gas. And uh, that's why everyone was saying Europe wants us to do this, Europe will help us do this, um, Europe wants our gas, they will buy it and so on. Of course, it took a while for us to, um, to make any substantial moves in, in, in that respect. And now we're too late. We're too late because the energy markets have collapsed. I mean, they, they collapsed even from the middle 2010s and further collapsed after uh, the pandemic. Uh, and not only that, um, we also have this shift towards renewables now. And mm -hmm. the EU does not want to fund any uh, fossil fuel-related uh, projects. So it's more difficult to develop, to, to actually proceed to exploiting and developing these uh, resources in the Eastern Mediterranean that, that have been idle so far. Um, other than that, the EU is generally supportive of, of the Republic of Cyprus um, uh, specifically, also Greece, but more, more specifically the Republic of Cyprus, because it is a, an EU member state. Um, it, it is a small state that is uh, um, under threat, is being challenged, and they tend to, you know, try to um, at least demonstrate some kind of support. But that support is always um, um, verbal, let's say. There isn't any kind of practical help apart from some measures that have been imp imposed on on Turkey for its its own actions but um, just like uh, any other foreign policy issue uh, that the EU is facing uh, the response is very weak because there is a lot of division within the EU and very uh, different um, national interests that uh, are involved some of them don't want to bother Turkey some of them are, are very angry with Turkey, France being one of them, Germany being Germany and Spain being two states that want to, you know, keep the relationship with Turkey, um, you know, norm, normal in a sense, because they have their own issues attached to that. So the EU is always supportive of new stuff going on here, but but at the same time is to a large extent absent. Mm. So that's kind of part two of, of my question, which is um, in this article, uh, Energy and Sovereignty in the New Geopolitics of the Eastern Mediterranean, which you wrote, and I will link to some of um, your pieces in the uh, podcast description, you say that um, the Republic of Cyprus attempted to garner support from regional and international partners, including Greece, Egypt, the United States, and the European Union, even pursuing the imposition of sanctions on Turkey by the EU. Um, so yeah, what has been the response? And like you said, I mean, Turkey going in, drilling, ignoring sovereignty, mm. um, what has been both, I guess, the, the local and international response most recently, even in the last couple of years? Well, they are always willing to, to get some statement out, you know, and say, um, the parties should restrain themselves or Turkey should stop these challenges, um, provocative actions, and so on. There was even a resolution from the European Parliament about it, and so on. But I mean, that's that's about it. Uh, the the most that we got out of the EU is what I mentioned earlier, which is, well, we the the, the Republic of Cyprus went for sanctions, but what they got in fact was measures, you know, uh, measures imposed on Turkey, which is basically some restrictions on on persons. 
uh, related to the drillings or the Turkish petroleum uh, company uh, and, and so on. Nothing major, no trade sanctions, no financial sanctions, nothing like that. They've warned Turkey a number of times, but they did not follow through um, on, on that, uh, let's say, threat. Uh, even when Turkey continued doing, continued doing the same thing or even creating new tensions, opening, for example, the enclosed city of, of Varosha in, occupy, in the occupied territories. Um, so you, you have an international community that, and this is not a surprise, um, that basically reacts and responds, responses basic, based on... Um, what the interests at, are at stake are and not necessarily what is right and wrong because that, that's that's what you do in politics to be cynical here it's is you interpret um, uh, the law through the political interest not through what is let's say ethical or, or just mm. so going back to your point about the fact that the ship has kind of sailed in terms of Europe being interested in this natural gas. Um, who then are the potential customers? Or I mean, what is, I guess, the motivation um, to keep pursuing this? Is there really any kind of future in, in pursuing this hydrocarbon? And if not, has it now just become more of a sovereignty issue and I guess a principled issue? Mm. I think it's both. It's certainly a sovereignty and the principal issue. But I think now we got we started thinking about exploiting this gas, but not necessarily exporting it to Europe, finding other partners, or certainly using it for domestic consumption, which is very important because the prices of, of electricity, for example, in Cyprus is, are very high. Mm. Um, so that's one option. The other option is... Um, we, uh, the Cyprus has an agreement with Egypt about uh, constructing a pipeline going for, from Cyprus to Egypt. Of course, Egypt has its own natural gas. It has become gas abundant in, the, in the 2018 and self-sufficient self at that. Um, but there is the option of sending the gas there uh, so that Egypt exports it through its own liquefied natural gas plants. Um, but that, that is, um, I mean, developments on that front are very, very delayed. I mean, we, we signed the, the pre-agreement in 2014, I think. We're 2021 and no pipeline has started being constructed. And I'm not sure if it ever will, uh, because now Egypt uses its own LNG plants to export its own natural gas and natural gas that is coming from Israel. So I'm not sure there, there is space for Cypriot natural gas to go there. So uh, long story short, I, I think our main option right now with the amount of gas that we have available, and it's not too much, uh, is to direct it to, to domestic markets. Mm. Starting to wrap up here, I was hoping you could address what you call the latest Greek-Turkish crisis, and that started last summer. Um, and you write that naval and other forces were mobilized, in fact, leading to a standoff, though no military confrontation ensued. Um, so I'm quoting your article again here. Can you just tell us what happened? Because this is kind of one of the latest and most dramatic um, mm -hmm. developments. Well, what happened is quite complicated in a sense, because it, it has to do with all these 
legal details about territorial waters and maritime space and all that stuff. Um, but let me simplify it and say that there is, a, there is an area south, south of Turkey um, in the sea that is being claimed both by Greece and Turkey. This is called either continental shelf or exclusive economic zone. Um, um, uh, Greece says that this area extends from the, the island complex of Castellorizo, which is exactly south of Turkey, and goes all the way to meet the Cypriot maritime space, so that the two spaces are adjoined. Um, Turkey says, no, no, this is not true. Uh, this island complex, these are very small islands, so islands, so they're not allowed, they should not be allowed to have a maritime space. And actually, my, uh, the Turkish exclusive economic zone extends and basically goes all the way to the Egyptian exclusive economic zone. So what you have there is, is a disputed area that, I mean, if we take things from an international law perspective, Greece is right. If you take things from a Turkish, uh, from a Turkish political perspective, Turkey, uh, some, some argue that, has some ground to, to argue what is, has been arguing. So this, this has been an open uh, dispute for, I don't know, like 50 years almost. Um, and uh, it can only be resolved at the, at the court. So, so what Turkey did was to um, send naval forces to accompany uh, survey vessels uh, in, in that area and um, to basically claim the area. And what Greece did was to mobilize its own forces to um, uh, respond to this provocation. Um, so the, the result was this standoff, in, and, and there were various stages in this, in this crisis. Uh, in the end, with the, with the involvement of, uh, of Germany, who had the presidency of the European Union at the time, uh, and the United States and NATO, uh, they managed to de-escalate the tension. But I think the point we need to, we need to remember here is that um, these are very deep-seated problems, uh, decades-old problems that um, will keep producing crisis, no matter how much effort is being put to, you know, de-escalate them. I mean, the problem remains. And uh, if they don't find a solution, an actual political solution that will resolve the problem, we will keep having this crisis coming back because, you know, this has been just one new crisis in a series of crises from the 70s and and it's not going away well i think we'll leave it at that thank you so much Zunonas. i think this has been a great introduction and um hopefully we can do another episode at some point to uh, dive a little bit deeper into what are clearly a series of very complicated issues so thank you yeah thank you and uh, i hope i've been helpful with all these complicated terms and, and issues thank you very much Thanks for picking Prio's Peace and Pod. This podcast is a production of the Peace Research Institute Oslo, Prio, located in Norway. For more information, visit prio.org. Editing, recording, and hosting by me, Indigo Treehogger. Music by Martin.